Welcome to the Bathurst Cycling Club's 2020 Anzac Day Memorial Podcast. The 26th Bathurst Cycling Club Anzac Day Memorial will be significant as it falls in a worldwide pandemic, the COVID-19 virus of 2020. Although a trophy bike race with the club since 1995, a change was introduced for the event's 20th anniversary in 2014, with the actual race playing second fiddle to the honouring of a member of the Bathurst Cycling community that went to war. Since then, six cycling World War veterans have been honoured by the Bathurst Cycling Club on Anzac Day. And although cycling has stopped across the world due to the coronavirus, that practice will continue on Anzac Day 2020. This year, Mary Phillips Robertson of the Royal Army Medical Corps, 3rd and 4th Scottish General Hospital Territorial Forces Command, has been selected as the World War I veteran to be honoured by the Bathurst Cycling Club. And her granddaughter has asked that she also represents the women of World War I, recognising the hardship they faced on the battlefields, but also back home as families were decimated by war. Of course, it's very appropriate that the club honours an army nurse this year, as Mary Robinson not only endured the war, but also a worldwide pandemic, the Spanish flu. Well over 50 million people were believed to be killed. Not only was Mary Robinson a nurse, but so would be her daughter, and also her granddaughter, Rosemary Hastings, who was a former World Masters cycling champion and a life member of the Bathurst Cycling Club. Mary Robinson was one of four World War I enlistees from her family, with her brothers David, John, Stuart, all at war. Well, Mary had two daughters, my mother and my aunt. I noticed that um, Mary was at war with her three brothers. As far as I know, there were only those three that went to war. There were, I think, there were 11 in the family, and the three brothers enlisted, um, but they all survived the war. Do you think your nana become involved in the war following her brothers? Was she a nurse before the war? Yes, I believe she was. When she qualified and stayed in Glasgow, that's when the hospital she was working at was turned into the military hospital. Working through that, she may not have made a conscious decision. She was just pretty much volunteered to do it in some way. I suppose so. I I, I really don't know. The inspiring story of Mary Phillips Robertson started prior to the war as she trained in a newly built hospital in Glasgow called Stob Hill Hospital. It was referred to as a poor law hospital as it gave free basic treatment to the people that were destitute and unable to look after themselves because of illness, disability and old age. It was in a time where people had to pay for health care, so this poor law hospital was desperately needed due to the terrible infectious diseases of the time, with these vulnerable patients often in the last stages of tuberculosis and set for certain death. Given the nature of the patients, the government picked the cheapest architects for the hospital and used 47 acres of marshy land at Snob Hill for the hospital site. However, its position on the railway system meant it was very suited for the Royal Army Medical Corps in World War I. 
The hospital was converted into two military hospitals, known as the 3rd and 4th Scottish General Hospitals, and was quickly adapted to handle ambulance trains, with Mary Robinson and the nurses requisitioned into the British Army Territorial Forces personnel and the Queen's Imperial Nursing Services Reserve. It did seem her three brothers, David, John and Stuart Robinson, all had the luxury to make a decision to enlist, while Mary was just expected to join the forces, along with the hospital. And while other military nurses were trained in cavalry work, signalling, camping out, driving and mechanical skills, to allow them to get to casualties on the battlefield, Mary and the Snob Hill staff were too valuable for that. They were catering for over 1,000 patients at a time, suffering from the worst battlefield wounds and disease. They were arriving in converted hospital trains at temporary rail stations built inside the hospital grounds. What that hospital was dealing with must have been horrific. Yet you have to consider the work of this poor law Snob Hill Hospital prior to the war, for Mary and the nurses of Snob Hill were used to these horrors. Before the war, in its first six months of operation, Snob Hill Hospital amazingly cured hundreds of cases of tuberculosis, yet more than 23% of the cases still died, while 25% of the senile decay patients died and 28% of the cardiac cases died at the hospital. Mary Robinson and her co-workers were performing miracles with these patients that the nation had forgotten, patients that had no money and no hope. But while they cured so many, these nurses had to deal with a lot of death plus the serious risk of infection themselves. Yet away from the brutality of these times, this hospital also had a sense of community, as once the patients started to get well enough, they helped out round the hospital. Women did cleaning and sewing, epileptics and tuberculosis patients did gardening. she would have been working in in that hospital would have been horrific because it would have been such serious cases. Yes, yes, I know it's amazing. I mean, it's such an interesting story. Not that there's a lot of detail that I know, but the fact that it was that hospital that was chosen because it was close to the railway line so they could bring the injured troops by train to the hospital, yes. So the people that were coming by train back to that hospital were the ones too serious to handle in military hospitals just closer to the war yeah. zone. And then on yeah. top of that, the Spanish flu must have been horrendous for someone in a hospital yeah. like that. So I hate to think of the conditions she was working under and uh, it uh-huh. must have been a tough old life. In World War I, it's difficult to even imagine how you could cope with 1,000 of the worst war injuries arriving in a train at the Stob Hill Hospital door. Mary Robinson and those wartime nurses must have been incredibly capable human beings to cope with these horrors. Yet on top of everything, these were times when the females were expected to serve. These nurses worked remarkable long hours, getting one day off a month. Plus, they had to obey many rules on behaviour, duties and even the food they ate. Yet for me, one of the most shattering thoughts was when the war almost finished, with the nightmare to make way for a period of celebration and relief, these nurses went straight into the Spanish flu world pandemic. It just didn't stop. The the people she would have been dealing with would have been terribly 
bad cases and uh, it would have yeah. been a horrifying place to work, I would imagine. I should think so. Uh, my mum worked at that hospital as well. She was a physiotherapist and when she lived in Glasgow, um, she um, worked at that hospital and then during the war she drove ambulances actually in Glasgow. That's the Second World War. Well, the, the next point I'm going to make is your nana, your mum, and yourself have all been involved in medical care. Is, is it something that comes from your nana, do you think? Or? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, thought of it. I hadn't really thought about it until, so who knows? Maybe. I mean, I never thought about that. I, you know, I have limited memory of, of Nanga um, mm. because. I was quite young when she died. She lived with us. You couldn't imagine her going through the horrors of a hospital uh-huh. in World War One without having a major impact on the rest of your life. Yeah, that's right. You would think so. You would think so. Um, she she wasn't a well woman. I just remember her being, you know, quite a frail health. You know, she she was in quite a, a bad diabetic. You would have not only had to deal with the most serious of war injuries, but you would have went straight into the Spanish flu after that as well. Yeah, yeah, that was about, what, 1918, something like that. Mm. Yeah, that's true, that's true. doesn't surprise me one bit that she was a frail person. You think of the things that she would have been open to, the, the diseases, and it's like a, a war zone in that hospital itself trying to fight off those diseases, especially with the Spanish flu. We're only just realising this year how serious the Spanish flu must have been. Exactly. Yes, I know they did a lot of closing down of um, public areas. It seemed the women of World War I not only experienced the hardships and the horrors, but they also had a resilience and expectation on themselves that they would get up each day and do whatever's needed without fanfare or accolades. I was also intrigued that after living through such a tough time, Mary Robinson's daughter would also work at Snob Hill Hospital, and in World War II she would transport the sick and the injured. Then, Mary's granddaughter, who would become such a major player in Bathurst Cycling, having worked as a key administrator for more than 20 years, would also spend 40 years in nursing herself, including emergency, midwifery and community health. Nana to other women who may not have had that official role as a a military nurse but were at home trying to keep the house together and things like that. It must have been an amazingly hard time for women uh, back in World War One. Incredible, you know, they must have been so stoic, so strong, those women, you know. All their men were away at war. They had to keep the home fires burning, so to speak. They were trying to earn extra money. They were trying to look after the kids, and families were so big, yet at the same time they're trying to run the country as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I've looked at my own great-grandmother. I just can't believe that she was looking after something like... 10 kids and and my great-grandfather died. He didn't want my Uncle Jack to go to war because he was the oldest in the family, yet he was over at war and got injured. And My great-grandmother was just 
working the dairy, looking after the kids, sending mail to the war forces and saying, I need my son back. I've got no one to run the farm. And if I can't get these cows milked, we'll all starve. And the moment I'm trying to make food and and feed the kids and at the same time run a whole dairy. And and she would have been so worried about her oldest son off on the Western Front. So Another remarkable woman, you know. So many remarkable women of that era. We probably don't acknowledge it, do we? No, we don't. And uh, there's there's an Australian, Vivian Bullwinkle. She was an Australian nurse who was on on an island nursing. Japanese occupied the the island. And she and her nurses were treated abominably. And they, they shot her in the sea. And I've always remembered this name about this Australian nurse. I think she needs to be on the conditions that they had to deal with as well. This is nothing. I mean, we're all fighting for toilet paper. This is nothing. (laughs) The 50 Australians exhibition at the Australian War Memorial reported Sister Vivian Bullwinkle as a World War II Australian Army nurse who had to flee the Singapore island in January 1942 on the SS Vinnebrook, only to have it attacked and sunk in the Banker Strait, leaving her adrift for hours clinging to a lifeboat. 22 of the nurses made it to an island where troops forced them back into the water and opened fire, killing all but Bullwinkle. Seriously injured, she finally got back to the island and started looking after a wounded soldier. She cared for him for almost two weeks till he died. She was then captured and suffered inhumane conditions for around three years. After the war, she continued her military and civilian nursing and became involved in a number of charitable ventures and veteran affairs. You can see a portrait of Lieutenant Colonel Bullwinkle at the Australian War Memorial. The display includes medals of the distinguished war nurse, diaries, photographs and the bullet-ridden uniform she wore during her captivity as a prisoner of war. The National Archives of Australia also holds letters and correspondence sent and received by parents of Bathurst cyclists on duty during the war. This mail seems heartbreaking for the mothers of the time, but also explains a desperation by them to keep their families safe, secure and together. One such letter is from Emily Windsor, who is pleading with war officials to allow her wounded son Jack, a promising cyclist of the time, to come home from the Western Front to assist her with the running of the family farm after her husband Frank was killed. It had been an awful period for Emily and a number of the mums of Evans Plains District on the outskirts of Bathurst. The Gilgandra Cooey March had stopped there for lunch to great fanfare by the small rural community in October 1915. Community leaders Frank Windsor and Hugh McKay welcomed the Cooeys, Frank giving them a young fox as a token of their visit to the Bathurst Plains, which the Cooeys said they would take to Gallipoli. Yet the Evans Plains community may have underestimated the impact of the Cooey March to enlist young men for the war, as many from that area would answer the call, including both Frank and Hugh's sons. Frank's eldest son, Jack, enlisted against his wishes, lying about his age. They would never see each other again, with Emily left to raise a large young family and hardly sleeping to run the family farm. While on Anzac Day 2017, the Bathurst Cycle Club honoured little Jack McKay, who was killed in action on the Western Front. 
He was one of Hugh McKay's sons that went to World War I after the Cooey March had met the Evans Plains community. Another cyclist to enlist from Evans Plains was Isaac Marr. His family was also there at the Cooey March arrival in Evans Plains. In fact, his sister Ivy Marr combined with Mrs Dwyer to organise refreshments for the Cooey March new recruits. Eighteen months later, young Isaac Marr died in action on the Western Front. In 2020, the Bathurst Cycle Club honours Army Nurse Mary Robertson of the Royal Army Medical Corps, not only for her remarkable work in the war, but also what she endured at the end of World War I in the worldwide Spanish flu pandemic at Stob Hill Hospital. We also join Mary Robertson's granddaughter Rosemary in recognising others, such as Sister Vivian Bullwinkle and the women of World War I who had to step up to become the saviours of family and country. Mm-hmm. 